Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm doing fine, <laughs> I got, uh, relatively. But um, what, what's going on with you? Um, you know, getting through the semester. Just finished teaching class like half an hour ago. Um, life is different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was actually kind of. I'm usually not nervous for things like this, but I was nervous for this today <gasps> because I actually I blew I blew out my voice the other day. Oh no! Why did you do that? I <laughs> was uh, just yelling a lot, and oh no! <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh boy, uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna be podcasting Joe in a couple of days. I hope, um, I hope, uh, like my voice recovers in time." Oh man, I just remembered the the story that you told in class last semester about getting uh, Burger King or no, McDonald's. It was McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining you you yelling ferociously about the the order and being hungry and needing the right one i love that story so much (laughs) yeah that was fun um uh so if i if i ever if i sound i I feel like today i think it was actually the day um you replied to me i threw i blew my voice out (gasps) and then i was like yeah is two is is a couple of days enough to recover i was thinking that and um i I fortunately I woke up this morning as like it doesn't feel terrible. Um and I suppose you probably wouldn't have noticed anyway. We we haven't actually spoken to each other in a while. But um but if uh if if there's a- any point um my voice sounds like it cracks or I have to like cough off mic, please please excuse that. Don't worry, you're not being graded. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Um <laughs> Yeah, um, I think, yeah, so we, I think we, the first time we met was last semester when I, I decided to take an acting class and you happened to be in, the instructor. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I wasn't originally slotted to be the teacher, but um, due yeah. to, you know, COVID things, um, the previous professor chose not to teach it and they reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we know that this is, because I, I teach various things, um, mostly theater well, primarily theater related in the English department or for the yeah. English department. Um, but they, yeah, I originally yeah. wanted to take the class because uh, it, it was to be taught by um, one of my favorite instructors in the English department, uh, Dr. Aaron Striff. But then she got handed a sabbatical and was therefore unable to teach it. Yeah, yeah. She's great. She's fantastic. And I have heard such great things about her acting class. And honestly, I was really nervous for people like you who already know her and love her. And then you're stuck with me for a semester. <laughs> um, and I just wanted to make sure you guys had a, you know, a, a decent time um, with the strangeness of the semester and it being half remote, um, the hybrid model, so to speak. Yeah, it wasn't, um, I mean, it's not ideal to be remote for, for, any part of your education, but it's like particularly uh, challenging when you have, when you're taking a class where part of like the conceit of the subject is like to be in person, to, to be interacting with people in real space in real time. Yeah. Yeah. I find that the biggest piece of feedback that I got from students at the end of the semester had to do with, I wish we had done more 
group things. And my response basically was, yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) But we had like one assignment where you had to work with a partner and it was great and it was fun. It was lovely to watch, but I, I just, I was so nervous about um, doing too much group work where you'd have to meet outside class or maybe your ideas wouldn't lend themselves to social distancing or anything mm. like that. So I basically modified everything that I would normally do to mostly be alone, um, yeah. which is not ideal for acting. But uh, I, I mean, I think everyone blew it out of the park. I think you guys did such a great job last semester and in just being flexible with yeah. how to adjust and change and follow me down my crazy rabbit hole of let's try it this way. Yeah. I remember one of, for one of the things we were doing scenes and we had scene partners and like if, if everything went well, it would, it would just be like myself and my partner like on the stage in class, like doing the scene. But it, but then I think they were, they found out they had, had risked being exposed to the virus or something. So they weren't in class. So we, so like we decided to do a, um, they tune in digitally while I was in class in person on the stage. And then I like, I brought your computer up and like placed down the piano so that mm-hmm. we could act, quote unquote act out our scene together. Yep. Yep. I, I mean, I thought it was a great attempt at, something that, that you guys had <laughs> you know <laughs> it was it was creative and you i mean you have to deal with the situation that you've been given you know and what was the yeah. alternative neither of you perform on a performance day and that's that's not that's not acceptable you know you both worked on it and you both memorized it and you know i thought i thought you guys did a great job and uh, i mean that happened i feel like it happened another time where um, oh goodness, did that sound come through? I mean, if it didn't, we've now acknowledged it. Okay, great. Uh, so, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's fine. I've, so I've had email pings come come through on my thing. <laughs> See, I normally have everything muted, but I guess something with putting my headphones in it changes all those settings. I don't know. Oh, maybe. Um, but I think uh, one of the things that seemed to work as well as it could. I mean, nothing was ideal, right? Like, we did the best we could. Doing live performances in class where, where the performer has their, a mask on wasn't great. In a classroom, also trying to teach you guys about articulation and raising your voice and having some volume control. Having a mask on was not the ideal situation. And then having people who were in class but remote um, was a challenge. So, I, I mean, I'm still sort of glad that it kind of worked by having everyone in class join on their phone to watch the performance of the person on zoom while my computer was playing the sound still that ideal still wasn't the best um and then the person who was online they got more of a a, of an education in how to act for the camera than act for the stage and those are two totally different techniques yeah but, you know, I found like it was so easy and it still is to uh, to complain. It's so easy to be like, well, this doesn't work and that doesn't work and nothing works and everything's the worst. But that doesn't get us anywhere. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, go ahead. Go ahead. 
No, I, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I felt, found myself constantly reassessing how I was looking at any given situation and using the, the things that weren't working as basically just a way of saying, oh, okay, this doesn't work. So these are the, the points that don't work. So how do I make them work? How do I make these negatives work in my favor? Um, yeah. and you know, and I, I just found that that was better for my own mental health, um, along yeah. with continuing the education for everyone in class. How long have you been teaching at the university? Um, at UHart, I've been there. What was I, I first taught, I think spring of 2019. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause I, I moved to Connecticut in, uh, December of 2018 and it just, the the job sort of fell into my lap, um, but I've been like I've been teaching as an adjunct um, since I was in grad school, um, and oh god, that's I started grad school ten years ago this year. So <laughs> I guess it, yeah, it's like nine nine years of because I not right. my first year but my second year. Um, right, but yeah, you heart yeah. Cause, so you you are you are a rather recent addition to the faculty. Because sure. I remember, because um, uh, I don't know how to say this without sound, because you know, when when I saw the listing the, for the instructor change from Dr. Strift to you, I'm like, who the hell is that? And yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think, I, I suppose because you were adjunct and therefore like at most part time, you like, I probably wouldn't have seen you at all, really. And you were only teaching drama. So, um, even though I'm like one of my majors is English and I spend some time uh, quite, or at least up until recently quite a bit of time in the English department, I probably wouldn't have seen you. No, not at all. I, I mean, I just showed up to teach the classes that I taught and then I'd leave basically. Um, yeah. And last spring before the pandemic, I was teaching three classes and they were all uh, cross listed uh, English and drama. Yeah. Um, and so I was on campus a lot more because I was there four days a week um, and I'd go to the, uh, I, I'd work on campus after class to make sure that my attendance was right and I'd work on quizzes and grading, yada, yada, yada. So I was around a lot last last spring um, before the pandemic. Um, and then this semester, I'm only teaching, no, I'm teaching one class, but two sections of it. And last semester, I was only teaching the acting class. Um, so I've sort of been all over the place. With kind of class I've been teaching and how much I'm teaching. So my first semester I taught intro to theater, um, and that was just one section of that. And uh, I think right now you're teaching what is it called, the development of theater or whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, the development Which, of theater. <laughs> you know that that's like, actually in it, the title or whatever the hell that is. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is that just like a, a history of theater or um, the the way that I've interpreted it based on the course description is it's sort of a hybrid of a lot of things. Um, it's a history of theater along with um, how, like even how audiences have developed. Um, we read plays, we talk about plays. There's lots of discussion. Um, the way that I figured out this semester makes a lot of sense to me and it keeps my brain in the game. We're studying six plays in each play gets four classes, which consists of a lecture, two days of reading the play out loud, 
and a final day of uh, dramaturgy or additional uh, research that students have done um, and further discussion. And on top of this, we're also learning about different um, analytical techniques of reading plays. So with each play, they learn a different technique. Um, and we're all over the place this semester. We started, we're doing it chronologically. So we started in ancient Greece um, and, of course, talking about like ritual and um, storytelling. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and Romans. And today we went to ancient China. Um, we're going to England and Spain and France. Um, and I'm missing one. Who am I missing? Oh, no. <laughs> Both are missing one. <laughs> it's okay. It's in a document. Um, but we're, we're sort of all over the place. And something I have talked to my students about is one of the reasons I've chosen the plays and the areas that I'm teaching um, is because I was looking at my own education and some of the, some of the gaps and the holes that were left um, from, you know, from my undergrad experience. And I was like, well, wait a second. Why didn't I learn about ancient China? Because there's some very interesting and beautiful art there that just was left out. And I'm honestly a little angry about it. Like, how dare you keep this amazing information from me? Yeah. Um, and so even though I, I only have a semester to give as much as I can, I don't know, I think I'm, at least they're, they're getting a wider um, understanding of theater and how it developed, you know, like the, every, it seems like every form of theater and I'm not going to launch into a lecture, I promise, but, um, (laughs) basically every form of theater started the same way. It started from ritual and religion and, um, storytelling and all these different practices. Um, and then it just slowly developed into the art form that worked for that region. Um, and it's fascinating to look at that and look at how the culture and the traditions, and in some cases, the religion, um, many cases, the religion influenced how the art developed because of what was allowed or not allowed. And so that's, that's how this class is working this semester. Um, last semester or last spring, it wasn't, it it was a very different class. Um, and in fact, once the pandemic hit, I gave a lecture, um, well, a recorded lecture where I was in my shower, not taking a shower to be clear. I was in my shower because the wall of my shower worked as a whiteboard. And <laughs> to explain the characters of this play, I couldn't, and I'm not great with technology. So like I couldn't figure out how to animate something to show them. So I explained it while writing it on the wall of my shower. <laughs> <laughs> In my desperate attempt to make sense of anything. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it worked. Maybe. I don't know. It was a Jacobean play. It was very complicated. That was you recording a video for students to watch later on. That that wasn't like you live from your shower. (laughs) No, no. Because at the time, I couldn't figure out how to do synchronous classes. You know, oh. with everyone sort of in this panic mode, I didn't want my students la- last spring to be in a position where they didn't have the equipment or they weren't able to attend class. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, um, I I did what I thought was best for everyone so that way people could follow up on their in their own time and in their own way. Um, 
but yeah, no, I didn't bring them into my shower with me. Um, though that would have been hilarious. Not that long ago, I did a podcast with someone and it went super long. We decided to take a bathroom break in the middle of it. And then, and then I, I think we joked that like I would be bringing my microphone with me into the bathroom. <laughs> The podcast with Benson Ty, live from the <laughs> toilet. Uh. Yeah, that's definitely been a, a, a strange element of all of this is like my my students this semester now know the names of my cats. Um, <laughs> but what are the, what other names of your cats? Um, uh, neither of them are here right now. Um, but Kaya is my girl cat and Hopscotch is my boy cat. Um, oh, okay. And uh, one of the comments in the group in the chat on Zoom um, a few weeks ago just said, "I stand hopscotch." Like, okay. <laughs> and they both both the cats have been with me for so long. I mean, Kaya's probably thirteen or fourteen years old at this point. Um, she she followed me home, and hopscotch I've had since he was a kitten, like since he could fit into my the palm of my hand. So sometimes hopscotch really needs attention, and he gets very loud. <laughs> And he just starts meowing at me. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I find the whole thing to be highly entertaining because we're all in a situation where like in no other realm would it be okay to like, obviously I'm in my bedroom, you know, like you now yeah. know, like, cause you can see me and this is a podcast, but like whoever's on zoom can see my bedroom. Like, this is sort of what it looks like. It's the curated version. There's a pile of clothes to my left that you can't see, <laughs> but um, the curated version. <laughs> yeah. It's it's odd. It's an odd yeah, time. It, in a manner of speaking, I suppose I've um, cur- curated my room um, so that it's, I don't know, like interesting to look at, I suppose. Um, like, it used, it didn't used to, it used to not look like this. Um, in terms for, for those listening, this is like, uh, so I have my camera set up here and from that vantage point, you basically see me, um, a keyboard over here, um, that thing hanging on my guitars and like a couple of amplifiers underneath. And, um, I guess it, it, it it turned out, uh, by luck, it turned out like based on where my computer is set up. Where I can put my set up my camera and like the angle at which it is um uh seeing me that you can this is like uh it I suppose I, I want it and I I want it to be and I hope that it's interesting for people to 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 look at when like um I'm in class or like on a in a meeting or trying to podcast someone you know that there's um there. There's personality to my Zoom background, you could say, my natural Zoom background. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny because I feel like you can tell when people have thought about it and when people have not, which is true. And one of the things that, uh, once again, because this is a podcast, but I'm going to lean over. Oh, that, that's actually my towel on my door. But usually I remember to take my towel down. Um, and behind uh, the towel is a costume. Um from 19, well, it's not from 1921, but it's a character that I play um, that I'm still doing. Like they, this is a, a gig that I had in Philadelphia when I was still there, um, and I was I played that character for three or four years at the Jewish Museum, 
Um, and then once all the everything shut down, they reached out to me and said, hey, are you still able to do the show? Because we would love to have you do the show uh, via Zoom. And so now every once in a while, I put on my dress that, you know, is designed to be from 1921. And I rearranged my kitchen. And I... I mean, a few weeks ago, I was I had a show for students in Chicago. I had a show. I think they were maybe in California. I'm not sure, but I've sort of traveled all over the place um, as this person, and I I've kept my dress up there mostly because I have found even in my lecture today talking about ancient China, we're talking about um, how much stuff you need to do a show, how much stuff you need to do theater. Um, and in the specific, the, the Northern variety dramas that we were talking about, um, specifically a show called Snow and Midsummer for anyone who's interested, it's fantastic. Um, um, but there weren't, there weren't massive backdrops and massive special effects. It, the costumes and makeup are beautiful and elaborate, but they're not, it's not the entire, they don't transform the entire space. A table and two chairs can represent a, a table and two chairs, or it could be a mountain range. It can be a million other things, but it's simplified. Um, and a, a student made this awesome comment yesterday about, um, because I showed them two videos back to back, one of um, the main character from the play performing in uh, the traditional sense, and she's singing in the, in the, uh, the way that it would have originally been done. And then right afterwards, I showed them a trailer for, an adaptation of the play that the Oregon Shakespeare Festival put on um, originally from Royal Shakespeare Company. Um, and the adaptation is lively and it's exciting and the lights and the sound and the um, special effects and there's even a puppet involved. And the, the student was commenting how, how cool that was, that you could take these traditional plays and you could scale it up and make it that elaborate or you can just boil it down to its simplest essence, um, and it would still have the same power. Whereas, like you take a show like Wicked, um, where you know at some point in the show the main character, it, it, Alphaba, she needs to get on a broom and fly. And if that doesn't happen, you are not doing Wicked. Like you are now doing something completely different. You can't scale that down. It is what it is. So it was kind of cool to see that. That difference. And I have this reference, like, yeah, I do a show that I can hang my dress on my door and I have two boxes of stuff and that's the show. I can take it with me wherever I go. Yeah, it's interesting to think about how, um, you know, the theater industry is, it, it is an industry. And if you're like an aspiring playwright or like composer, it takes a lot of resources in order to put on a show. But at the same time, it, it's kind of I, I kind of equate it to like filmmaking because um, you, you can write a kick-ass screenplay, but then you have to like get millions of dollars of other people's money in order to like produce it to make like a proof of concept to, to like, like, see, my idea wasn't shit um, <laughs> or, and or just to get it made. And, you know, in terms of like modern theater. Or at least big productions where I like on on say like Broadway or whatever. It's you know there are it's actors, it's costumes, it's makeup, it's lighting, it's uh, the, you have to you know pay a producer or a director, and it do, it it takes so much. But then at the same time, 
like if you go back to the absolute basics, the roots of theater, like back to ancient Greece, it was like two dudes on a platform and yeah. like not even maybe costumes, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the, is especially to go back that far, like the, the biggest costume thing was the masks. Like people were masked. Um, cause that way you could change characters. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons for the masks, but you could do a show that is supposed to have 15 people, but it's really just, as you said, two dudes, um, on a platform, just switching masks up. Yeah. It's like now I'm this person, now I'm this person, now I'm this person. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's one of, if not the only performing art I can think of that can vary so much in terms of, um, uh, resources and production value like even if you're like um i don't know like an amateur indie filmmaker it's still and you have like the most skeleton crew um amount of people working on it it's still like more than a handful of people right Mm -hmm. and but in terms of like if you just want to put on a play pretty much all you need is the venue and um which which sometimes if you're like so if you're so bare bones gorilla theater producing it 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 really does not take much it's like actors place to put them on and you know that's that's um you know, that that's some it's um like the the minim the uh the limits of minimalism i guess you could call it is what is something that fascinates me about what theater can can do. Yeah, well, and the, the, the funny thing is, is you don't even need a space, you know, no. any anywhere. Okay. To, like, make it even more minimal. Um, you know, I've been to fringe festivals where, you know, people found an abandoned, abandoned lot and there's no access to lights or sound or anything. Um, you can do a one-person show where all – really, what – this is the question I keep coming back to, and it's kind of an annoying question, but what is theater? You know, we have, because I can, as I said, I do a show in my kitchen, and it's just me, and occasionally my cats, who I try to keep out of the out of frame, but sometimes they show up. Um, and that's it. It's just me in my kitchen talking to this box in front of me, um, and that's theater. But I could take that show, and I could do it on my front porch. Um, for the neighborhood children's. Um, and I don't know, I sort of feel like theater can, theater exists when you have an audience watching it because the rehearsal is not considered theater. I mean, it's considered the process of, but it, nobody would say like, oh, that is the performance. I love that rehearsal. It's- yeah, <laughs> it was such a good, I saw this rehearsal the other day. It was so good. The Tony yeah. Award for best rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I yes, I hope I didn't just blow out your mics from laughing. But <laughs> yeah, no, that's spot on. Tony Award for best rehearsal. Oh man, I gotta tell you, there's definitely some rehearsals that I've done that were better than the performance. <laughs> um, I actually really enjoyed the rehearsal process, which is honestly probably why I'm in education as well because it's similar it's that investigative yeah. work like i feel like a detective half the time um and like that and like this semester is why i have this thing where because obviously not every student gets to read out loud when we're reading through the play we don't necessarily read the whole play we just read excerpts from it so that way they can get a feel for the language and a feel for the time and they can we can stop and ask questions and 
add on the analytical tools that we're learning. But if you're not reading that week, um, you're doing this thing called dramaturgy, which it's a really, uh, a lot of people, I didn't even hear the word dramaturgy until I was in grad school. Um, and it actually means a lot of things at the same time. But mm-hmm. the way that I'm using it um, in terms of class right now is basically, a, it's a researcher. It's a, it follow your nose. There's a, a real job out there called a dramaturg. So like sometimes a production will have a dramaturg who will even put together a packet with whatever information you need to know about the playwright, the play, the time period that the play was originally writ- written in, the time period that you're placing it in. It's like a whole thing. Um, but my bigger point is that I want the students to be as nerdy as I am um, <laughs> in that I want them to be able to read a play and read something and be like, wait, I don't understand that or I don't understand that concept or I don't know that reference. And then basically I'm giving them permission to follow their own curiosity and research something. And then on the last day of that section of classes, they bring that work to class. And I say, okay, go ahead. Then we go through a a sequence of students and they share their information and we have a running document. So anything that they have discovered, the whole class can take a look at in their own time as well. Um, and I don't even know how I got on that topic, but I just, I find the research of things to be fantastic. Yeah. It's like, um, I think of it almost like the equivalent of musicology, mm. um, where like sure musicology is a study of music, but it's more, um, I mean, part of like literally studying like music is a subset of musicology, but it's like, it's an attempt to, contextualize that music in terms of like history, culture, etc. you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, bingo. And that's exactly what we're doing. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, man, it's so, see, okay. Little thing about me that there's no reason that you would know this. Um, for high school, I was homeschooled. Um, oh, word. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sort of homeschooled and regular schooled on and off throughout my life. Um, but because I was a theater person and for various other reasons, my parents decided like, you know what? Because my parents are educators. They were like, you know, we can do this better. (laughs) So (laughs) they, uh, we were in a position and I'm very fortunate that we were in this position, um, where I got schooled at home and like, my mom did a lot of bartering with people. So like she had friends who were English professors or physics or whatever. And she, they would teach me whatever they needed to teach me. And then she would trade music lessons. So, because my mom, both my parents are musicians. So my mom would, I remember specifically, there was one woman who was my English and French teacher and she would come over and we do English and French in the kitchen. And while my mom taught her daughter flute in the other room, and then we'd all have dinner together. Like that was school for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the other one was, and this is why I even thought to bring this up, um, has to do with history because I would read my daily history on the train um, because I lived right outside Philadelphia and it was like a, 20 minute train ride into the city and I would do my reading on the train to and from rehearsals. And when I'd get home, my dad would sit me down and be like, okay, so what did you read today? And I'd tell him what I read. And then he'd be like, okay, so let's talk about what's happening in another part of the world. Let's talk about what's happening in music or let's talk about what's happening in other 
art forms or he would just really put it in perspective on a bigger scale. Like as I was studying the micro, he helped to widen the lens. Um, and, you know, he, you mentioned uh, the musicology. And so I started to think about how my dad was like, okay, so then Mozart did blah, blah, blah. Like, Yay, Mozart. <laughs> as I'm reading about whatever revolution in fascinating stuff. Because it's all, and I think that's honestly why I always come back to theater. Because it just reminds us how we're all, we're all connected. We're all part of the same thing. In a sense, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> well, we you, all have uh, stories to tell. At the very bare minimum, we all have stories to tell. Uh, sometimes, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's times I think I have a story to tell, and then I get down to it. I'm like, yeah, this isn't anything. It's... <laughs> yeah, well, in and fact, sometimes you that's at... why you need an editor. <laughs> <laughs> Not you specifically, uh, like the general you. <laughs> I don't know if you look at the majority of my work or output, it's mostly like me uh, it, uh, ha- having a having a everything's like just a big joke, and it, it like gets kind of meta. Mm. Like I'm basically trying to be Charlie Kaufman, and like it's just, <laughs> it, but it, it all comes back to me trying to write or make write like, like make films about making films about making films or something like that or writing about writing about writing. And I mean, like that, that sounds like creative and um, interesting when it's like the first thing I ever make. And, but then like, I keep treading the same ground is like, it's like, like people are going to get tired of this, even though on some level, I find it hilarious that I keep trying (laughs) to do that. Well, I will tell you right now, I'm sure there is somebody with a very similar sense of human, that, of human, very sense of human, sense of human. You know what? That's the title name. of my next album, Sense of Human. <laughs> I love it. Um, but no, I'm sure you have validated somebody's experience and how they view the world because they're like, oh yeah, I see. I find the humor in this. I get this too. Um, which is why I think even if we doubt ourselves, which I think we all do at some point, um, if we are moved to give some sort of output, as long as it is not hurting anyone, as long as it is not actively hurting someone, I say you got to keep doing it. You got to keep putting that output out there because somebody needs it. And if something is speaking oh, to no you. Oh, no one needs this. <laughs> no one needs me adapting adaptation over and over again. <laughs> you don't know. And maybe it's helping you in some way. And like, we don't, we don't have all the answers in this moment. And sometimes the answer comes, I don't know, years later, you know, like you just, you never know the influence that you have. And as long as I think, and this, this is my, my loving hippy dippy side. I think as long as we keep in in mind, you know, that everyone deserves kindness, um, and, and love, as long as we work from that place and we're not actively putting things into the world that are there to hurt people and like we are doing some really good beautiful stuff in my humble opinion i don't know what if you want to put out stuff that hurts people or not or not hurt not hurt people but like is like meant to push their buttons if you know what well, i mean that, i think that's different i think that's different i mean i think i'm specifically talking about anything that is actively oppressing or causing harm okay that right. you know what i mean but i obviously i think there's something about art that its main job is is to press buttons, is to have people question 
what they see and what they feel and what they think. Um, and so, and I don't know if it is my connection or yours, but you are frozen and I'm going to jump over here and it seems like I am still recording. Hey, you back? Hi. Hello. All right. So for those listening, uh, my internet dropped out again. I, 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 by again, I mean for like I've had it happen on a couple of episodes before. But um, I'm back and I think we were talking about uh, really big art important push things. Buttons, right? Yeah. Making ma- art to make people uncomfortable. Yeah. Like um, I don't. Uh, I don't know if you're uh, uh, into films at all, or 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 that. Uh, like, uh, there's this one director I like named Ari Aster. If you've ever heard of him, mm-hmm. he did a couple of movies in the past in the past couple of years called Midsummer and Hereditary. Oh yeah, I saw Midsummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Those those are you know crazy, but like I think he's he's one of the, I, I the reason I like him is because those are like. Um, wild movies with really unnerving, um, it like visuals to mm-hmm. to, to to scare. Not, I mean, scare people and like also kind of thrill them in a sense. But also, he's there. There was there are times when he's making stuff literally just to like push people's buttons. Like he um he went to the American Film Institute Conservatory in uh, Los Angeles for his graduate work. And a thing he made, a, a short film, is called the, S- the Strange Thing About the Johnsons. Okay. And the premise is, um, like, he, he, he literally wrote this short film trying to think of what's the most taboo, the most, like, risque, like, thing that would totally make people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he came up with um uh an older man like being sexually abused by his son mm. right and then like to make it even worse he decided to cast it cast the family as as a black family mm. right mm-hmm. so it's like um like there's a I've, i i think there's a fine line between like the making the making art that's meant to be like unnerving or uncomfortable and that, that before it crosses over into um i don't know like the equivalent of like trolling i guess you could say but sure. like like for Ari Aster and the strange thing about the johnsons he he does it artfully enough that like it makes you curious about like how uncomfortable you're feeling when you're watching it you know what i mean mm-hmm. oh that's interesting I don't know that that's my particular uh, favorite genre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a part of my my background is in um, is in art. Uh, my minor in college was art design and media was the name of the minor. It was the name of the major as well. Um, and my favorite class that I taught or I took was called Off the Wall, and the it was all about the Michael Jackson album Off the Wall. It was. It was a very, <laughs> very different type of art class. No, um, basically the, the main thing was you could not create any art in this class that you just hang on a wall. Oh, okay. There had to be something else to it. 
um, there was, and I still, like, I still think about this class all the time. Like there was one piece that, um, one of my students, um, what did they do? Uh, not one of my students, one of the students in the class took a plaster cast of a pregnant woman's body and then hung it from the ceiling and projected photos onto it. Um, and then the, the, the artist, the student in the class talked about how the only reason she exists is because her older sister was murdered. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure she said it was like she was from Iran and she was, her older sister was big into protests and fighting the system. So her sister was murdered and the, the parents were told the only way that you're going to recover from this is if you have another child. And so that is why this student existed. And like, this was her way of showing this really dark, mm-hmm. uh, complex stuff. But through this class called off the wall, um, there's one person who collected junk mail from his entire neighborhood and then built a wire tree and filled it with the scraps of the junk mail. Um, I did a piece about squirrels addicted to crack. Um, (laughs) I did. um, Because I read a story about squirrels in Central Park who kept finding crack things and getting addicted and like attacking people. Turns out it was an urban myth, but that made it even more interesting. But I handcrafted three different squirrels um, out of computer wire and fur. And anyway, so... My, I have this background in like installation art and performance art that can sometimes, when you go down that rabbit hole, you get to some really uncomfortable stuff. Um, and it's delightful if you let it be. And it can be terrifying as well. And you never totally know what you're going to step into, especially with certain artists. But uh, I find that like I have... I have a very high tolerance for discomfort in art and the need of an artist to show what they do, um, whether it's in music or, um, or visual. I mean, I'm more in the visual art side of things here, um, but also performance, you know, you like, you, and I've seen some theatrical productions. There was one show that I went to where I was blindfolded the whole time. What? Yeah. <laughs> I go to the show and they, you're given an angel who sits next to you and like there's you're blindfolded so you don't see anything the whole show and the show is all audio but it's live audio it's and you have a, a an angel who like whispers things to you and it's all scripted you know it's nothing weird um and i actually forget what the show was but uh i remember the experience of it and like, Those I'm all not for it. A devil to be on your, on, sitting on the other side of you. <laughs> right. There should have been. There should have been. But I think there, if I remember correctly, there was like a main narrator who was in the room as well. Okay. Because um, all the angels were, had uh, feminine voices and the, um, the narrator type had a male voice. I think my friend Mark was playing that character. I could be wrong. But I mean, it, that type of, of performance I find to be just delightful. Like I, I like to be encased in theater, in performance, in different okay. experiences. It's fascinating. When you were t- when you're talking about that production, I thought I thought it was going to go like you were going to mention something incredibly disturbing. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. But, Sorry, no, I didn't. But, go but down. I guess if you if you don't remember what it, like the rest of it, then I guess it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't disturbing enough to stick in your mind, but. 
um, or, or uh, but I don't know. Like, uh, are you? Have you seen a lot of like performance art? Are you familiar with any performance artists who like? Oh um, yeah, like Marina Abramovich is one of my absolute favorites. I know she's like people have their thoughts about her. There was a great. Have you ever seen um what is it documentary now? Yeah. Okay, so there is a glorious one of her. Um, yeah. done. For those listening, oh. documentary now is a television series <laughs> developed by Bill Hader, uh, Fred Armisen, and I think Seth Meyers of. Saturday Night Live fame, where they they kind of parody like existing documentaries, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, go, go on. Yeah, and there's one where they have Kate Kate Blanchett playing this Marina Abramovich type character. Um, Wait, they got Kate Blanchett? Oh yeah, oh yeah, and it's glorious. Ten out of ten, recommend. Um, I do first recommend knowing who Marina Abramovich is first, otherwise it oh, yeah. will not be as funny. Um, but um she's one of my favorites there's also a man by the name of bob flanagan um who his work is really disturbing it can be very disturbing because he um his his whole thing with art was with his performance art was the fact that he was living with cystic fibrosis and he was in pain all the time and the way that he uh, dealt with it and showed it, and his his phrase was "fight pain with pain," and so he would hurt himself in in various ways. Um, he would do the have these like walk through installations as well, where they're just little bits of art that he created throughout the thing. There's one where I think he was in a hospital bed the whole time, so people could come up and talk to him. Um, there's one piece, and I don't know how. Uh, what, what the rating level of your podcast is, but there's one thing. Oh, that, there is no rating. Okay, great. Um, so Unrated. Trigger warning, uh, things happening to male parts. Um, okay. So basically what Bob Flanagan did was he uh, was telling a story, telling jokes, while a camera is focused on his male genitalia, which he then hammered nails through while telling jokes and telling stories. Yeah. So disturbing. Yeah. But at the same time, that's how he fought his cystic fibrosis. That's how he fought his pain. Um, And while that is not the the route I would take um, (laughs) to uh, deal with. I don't think I would either. Um, Right. That is. And like, who, who am I to say, don't do that. You know what I mean? Like that's, I, I love this stuff. It's fascinating. Humans are fascinating. I mean, yeah, but I don't know. There, again, there's like sometimes there's a you know there's the fine line between performance art that's like say disturbing enough to be interesting, and then like it might, but then it might cross over into like being real kind of uh, self indulgent or. Oh, absolutely. It's totally a fine line. Um, Oh, side note with Bob Flanagan. I just remembered this, this detail. Do you, have you ever seen the music video for um, nine inch nails closer? Uh, A handful of times. Yes. Okay. So there is a character in the, in the, the music video. That's Bob Flanagan. It is. Yes. No shit. Yeah. So like, (laughs) What he did was uh, powerful enough, and the way that he went about it, the way that he talked about his art, no matter how disturbing it was, it was always really clear what he was doing. It wasn't just self-indulgent, and um, 
there was um, when I was studying him years ago. Um, it was after he had passed, but he had said something about how he was given a life expectancy of barely living to his mid twenties. Um, and he passed at 43, I want to say, and he chalked up his, um, lifespan to the fact that he didn't hold on to his pain. He didn't pretend it wasn't there. And he, this is just how he handled it. You know, everyone's different. Everyone deals with their life differently, but that is what worked for him, you know? And it was always very thoughtful. And I think, isn't that the, like, isn't that the thing with art? Like if there's no thought you can tell, and we're annoyed by that. When it's yeah, when it's just pure self indulgence. Maybe that's just me. But. Yeah, I, uh, wow. <laughs> Given how big of a fan I am of Nine Inch Nails, I'm surprised I didn't know about that. Well, there you go. You're welcome. You're yeah, welcome. and I, I don't know. There's um, yeah. There's a when you think about um, like when people try to make when people tr- are trying to make stuff and. I guess ultimately you want at the very root of it, you want to make it for you. No, no, of course. But then like if, if you only make it for you, then you are being self-indulgent. You're only ever, um, sort like pushing your own buttons. If you, if, if that makes sense. And you know, if, um, does like, I suppose, does that mean you're inherently ever, um, you're, does that mean you're supposed to make it or make it for other people? Are you supposed to keep that in mind? Are you supposed to take that into account when you're making stuff? I feel like this is the ongoing conversation. I don't know that there's an answer. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, from my own world and perspective, I mean, I think maybe that's what it is. When it's self-indulgent, when it's purely self-indulgent, you're doing it for other people to say, oh, look at you and look at like, it's, it's, Maybe there's something in that because I think because we we need validation for our for obviously our we need validation. Um, but when it's purely that without any thought, I think is when it starts to disintegrate. It's the things <laughs> that don't last. Maybe yeah. It <laughs> this uh, for some this reminded me of um. There's an episode of The Simpsons where um Homer I guess he like gets angry and like uh, mashes a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. together and people look at it and like oh that's incredible that's art uh which we would like to commission you to make more stuff <laughs> but then they're they're all the same basically the same concept like him getting angry mashing a bunch of crap together mm-hmm. and he's like no nah, look at this because she's like he's like i'm an artist now they're paying me just to like dude um this sounds so easy to do mm-hmm. but then like once he does make a, a handful of of like things that are all basically the same thing. Everyone loses interest. Yeah. I think there's, there's probably some artists that are, are like that. I'm being totally honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, w- I wouldn't go that far. Um, but I mean, you think you go back in like art history and you look at um, what is it called? The, the fountain Marcel Duchamp, um, which is a urinal. Oh, uh- I thought you were going to say The Fountain by Darren Aronofsky. Oh, <laughs> oh Darren Aronofsky. What a <laughs> dear place he has in my heart. Um, but yeah, so literally, I mean, Duchamp was a part of the Dada movement, um, which the whole thing was like artists and, and any art historians listening do not come at me 
for my definition of Dadaism. But I feel like for the most part, Dadaism and Dadaists kind of went, art is stupid. Like the way that we look at art is dumb. Why are we doing it like this? And, you know, Marcel Duchamp puts, you know, the fountain together, which is a urinal that says, I think it says Armut 1918 painted on the side. And he hung it in a museum. And like, now it's art. But it was also kind of a joke, you know? He he was saying, like, art is dumb. Like, look, people are staring at my urinal in a museum. Um, but it's considered to be one of the greatest pieces of 20th century art. And I sort of feel like that that happens in every art form. Somebody, like, we take it too seriously, and then somebody slides to the other side and is like, okay, I'm done with all that seriousness. Let's do something stupid. <laughs> and then... <laughs> You get all the people in the middle, like, and that's sort of the joy of it all. Like it doesn't, just because a certain kind of art isn't for you doesn't make it not worthy, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, that, that sounds a lot like me. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> like there, there are times when like, I don't take a lot too seriously. And there, there are times when you see me putting in like so much time and effort into, into doing something. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out to be a joke. And, <laughs> Because I I don't know like there I I find I find it on some level worth it to to do the joke to like like um really um say let's not take things too seriously f it um it if it, I, I I'm a lot of things I pursue for like for the for the sake of comedy and to me that's kind of worth it because like it makes me laugh it might make other people laugh and sure. in the end it's just. <laughs> Like there's not there's not a whole lot to dig underneath, I guess, but like just the fact that like so so much effort was put into something and it turns out to be a joke. It's like it undercuts the 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 idea itself and then like that is even more hilarious, you know? Okay. Two things. One, I do absolutely believe that and this is something that actually comes out up in my house all the time. My, uh, my roommate is a puppeteer. Um, and he's in the process of, he's putting out, um, he's in grad school for puppetry. Um, he's putting out an album or something. No, (laughs) but every two, every two weeks he's putting out a a video and, um, he did, it was two of them are puppet explains. One of them was the puppet explains GameStop. Um, and one of them, (laughs) uh, puppet explains, uh, what you need to know to watch WandaVision without having to spend 30 plus hours watching all the Marvel videos. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that comes up for us a lot in, just in conversation is about um, what makes a good joke and what makes a good anything. Um, and what I keep coming back to is that effort that you were just talking about. Like when there's effort put in, um, it makes the joke so much funnier. Yeah. Because if you just like do something slapdash and like expect it to be comedy, but you put no work in, it's clearly not funny. It's why when we watch uh, performers laughing at their own material, occasionally it's funny. When you see somebody laughing at something because it's so funny, they can't keep it together. Um, occasionally it's, it's okay. But when somebody consistently cannot stop laughing at their own joke, it's not funny anymore. You, yeah. know, what I, you know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. But what was it? I was watching a compilation of um, Kenan Thompson's like best bits on SNL. Um, now that he's oh, yeah, yeah. starting his new show, 
And I was watching some of those bits and I, there's some of them, honestly, I don't remember the last time I laughed at SNL, but I was watching some of these bits <laughs> and I am like peeing myself, like, especially some of the music, like the music yeah. videos or whatever. I'm like, look how much effort was put into this. And it only works. And the only reason it's funny is because of how hard they've worked on it. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, awesome. And like, yeah. One of my favorite recurring bits on SNL is um, what's up with that. Yeah. 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 Right. Where, where Keenan is playing like a game, uh, a talk show host, but, and, and like they usually have like two really like serious, important people on as guests. And the third one is always Bill Hader dressed up as Lindsay Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac. Right. <laughs> and, and like they never actually get to interview any of them because they keep breaking out in this, in, into the theme song. Right. Right. <laughs> and like one of my favorite things is Jason Sudeikis in the tracksuit and like just he's he's he is putting in work like uh, when he, whenever he's in frame like just moving around like doing silly movements i'm like i want this that's the jason sudeikis in that moment has the greatest job in the world um and a correction golden globe winner jason sudeikis (laughs) (laughs) right it's so good Oh, oh also just before i forget my point number two um, was like, is, is this, is this going to be a joke? Is this all just a setup? So that way you can like make fun of me on a public platform. Just, <laughs> I just need to know ahead of time. Like, that's fine. I'm cool with it. I just, I mean, uh, are you, are you saying, what, what <laughs> are you asking if I'm going to edit this in a way to make you look, uh, just keep me in a job is all I'm asking for. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I mean, oh man, that's, that would be the longest con. Holy crap. Um, <laughs> But <laughs> just make it short. Just make it short. <laughs> I mean, I've had, I've had other jokes. I guess that <laughs> that basic for the episode basically turns into a joke. I suppose, but like not 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 because I'm trying to get someone like that. <laughs> like uh, like I mean, like the uh, I think just this past week, um, I put one up of well, I did one I did with a friend of mine who we originally did one last year in February. But like the recording came out like crap, mm-hmm. and it was like a couple. It was the long, at that point it was the longest thing I'd ever done. It was like a couple of hours long, and then when on on that first session we joked that like if we ever do one again it has to be double that length. <laughs> oh no! And so when we um we we convened to record another one, but we but it was us reviewing the first session <gasps> because that session of course couldn't be released, right? Right, right, and then. And then, of course, it went on longer than the actual episode of us reviewing the that 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 first session, and then and then we actually tried to have like a quote unquote normal conversation, and then it ended up being four hours long, the entire thing. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that uh, man, I humor comes in so many ways, you know, and it's so unique to each individual. And I probably won't listen to all four hours of that it's, particularly. I don't understand why anyone would. But, but uh, you know what? Like that, that's really funny. That's yeah. And that's amusing. And you know, if, um, if, if, any, if, if there's anyone who's actually familiar with the show, like it, this, 
this entire thing was basically is built on a joke base basically um like i don't i don't have a particular theme i don't really interview people i'm not asking them at least at, at least i don't plan to ask them deep questions about anything if and i would say the most successful ones are the ones where we're making each other laugh for an hour but like literally the sh- the name of the show is the podcast mm-hmm. with Benton Ty. <laughs> i'm not if you look at my website the t- the tagline is i talk to people and record it. it this whole thing is me being facetious because i'm not taking it too seriously you know sure sure well hopefully you I, not to put myself in this category, but um, hopefully you talk to some interesting people and you get to hear things that you wouldn't normally get to hear or ask things that you wouldn't normally get to ask. Yeah, and that happens. Um, like, sometimes, like sometimes we get into doing bits and then uh, like just trying to make the show to laugh for a bit. And, um, you know, it, there, there, are, there are things we say, you know, there, there are jokes that you probably would never hear it anywhere else just because we're trying to have fun with it yeah absolutely oh man it it's good stuff and i i feel kind of bad because like i i got out of class i haven't left my chair since teaching um except i think to blow my nose because i was feeling really allergic but um are you saying you need to get up and stretch and oh no i'm just saying i'm still i'm still in like i'm still in teacher mode i'm still in professor mode um And which I still find very funny. I mean, it's something that I think we're all sort of dealing with right now is our own concept of time, which is so messed up. Um, The fact that we're about to hit a year, the year mark um, of the pandemic is crazy pants. Um, I mean, we already have, depending on where you are. Um, Well, I mean, technically speaking, it it was like first recorded, uh, first documented in December of mm -hmm. 2019. Mm -hmm. But I guess it wasn't declared a pandemic until like around this time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone has their like their, I realized it was a problem when story. Um, (laughs) And like I was in Wisconsin, I was teaching a movement workshop um, at the university of Wisconsin Parkside. I was there for three days um, and I'd planned the whole thing so I could like drive from Connecticut down to Philly to see my folks and then I was going to, you know, fly to Wisconsin for three days and then fly back and stay with my folks again and then come back to Connecticut. That was, that was the plan. So I'm in, I'm in Wisconsin and each day that I'm there, things are getting progressively more, um, what's going on? And then on the- You're, You keep getting, I got a bad feeling about this. Yeah. It's like, uh, um, is this like schools are shutting down? Like what's going on? And then, um, so I think my final day of teaching- was the 12th and the next day I was the 13th I was flying back and I a friend of mine uh it's a very long story but like there's a whole group of people that I did a show with in Vermont but they're all in Wisconsin in any case mm-hmm. so I have a lot of friends out there um so my my dear friend Matt drives me was the plan was for him to drive me to the airport but he's like hey we should stop we'll, we'll stop at a bar and have a drink before you go and I'm like oh okay um it was like noon and I'm not, I, I don't really drink. So that was a little odd for me, but you not know, alone day drink. Yeah. Day, it's not really my, my thing. Like no judgment if it's anybody else's, but like, I don't, I don't drink. Um, like I think I had one, I had a mimosa for the inauguration this year. Um, 
because it, it seemed like a fun, fancy thing to do. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we go to this bar and I think I had a, I think I had a pint of cider. Um, and I think we ate some food too, but the, the TV's on and we're sort of watching what's going on. And at one point I turned to Matt and I was like, do I live in Wisconsin now? <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't actually sure that I could get out. Um, and then when we realized through all the news footage, like how bad things are really getting, um, my friend Matt is friends with the bartender. He's like, hey, I think we all need uh, a round of shots. I'm pretty sure I didn't take mine. I could also be wrong, but okay. um, uh, he he gets, and I told Matt when we got to the airport, I'm like, look, I need you to like wait for a minute just, and I'll text you if I can actually get on the plane. So I fly from Milwaukee to Chicago and from Chicago to Philadelphia International Airport. So those are pretty big hubs of air travel. Um, and it was bizarre. Like suddenly people are in hazmat suits, like in the airport and all of that. And I got back and my dad is older this year. He turned 85. And so I get back to my folks place and I walked into the house and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't stay here. I have to leave now. And I, my parent, my dad was like, it doesn't make any sense. It's not a big deal. Like, I don't know why you're being so crazy about this. I'm like, just trust me. I'm just trying to keep you safe. I've been on too many planes. And I got in the car and I drove back to Connecticut. And um, so I guess, let's see, if I do my math backwards, the last time I hugged my parents was like March 9th of last year, um, which I'm really close to my folks. So that's, that really sucks. But, you know, I'm really lucky because my folks are still here. They were in a situation where like people were able to take care of them all year and bring them food. And so I would just, it, 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 everyone has their story. And... That's mine. Not like you asked, but there it is. <laughs> um, but anyway, the whole point of that was sense of time. Like it's been a year of that. And like, is it Thursday? I think it's Thursday. Like I tend to know. I what can th- confirm it's Thursday. <laughs> Thank you. Like I, I mostly know what day it is because um, of what, what I'm teaching. Yeah. Um, and I also have another job outside of UHART, um, which has definitely been a job through the pandemic. Um, and it's, you know, it's shift work and I've, I've been with the public this whole time and it's, I've, I've kept my distance and I've been very lucky. I've been, I've never tested positive. Um, I've had friends who've gotten very sick, but I have not. So I'm, I feel very fortunate with that. Um, but I got to tell you, there's one day that I signed into class via zoom. This is a few weeks ago. I signed into class and I saw that it was nine fifty five. No one else was there. 9.56. No one was logging in. 9.56. I was like, where the hell is everyone? And then I realized I didn't know what day it was. (laughs) And (laughs) I had started the wrong Zoom session. (laughs) Because I have different ones for my Monday, Wednesday, and my Tuesday, Thursday. And I was off by a day. I'm just (laughs) glad I figured it out. Because... And I just laughed at myself. I'm like, oh my God, is this where we are now? Where I literally don't know where I am in time. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. There are t- I mean, there are times when I, um, you know, being um, remote, I'm, I only ever have, like currently, I don't, actually, last semester and this semester, I only ever had to go to campus once a day, one day a week, you know? And the rest of the time, I'm remote. I'm just staying in my room literally all day. And then there are times when I just, 
like I'm staring up at the ceiling. I'm like, where am I again? <laughs> what 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 are what are days? Uh, what is time? And like I know I don't even it make like it makes me question whether or not I actually exist. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I'm like, what? Am I just a bunch of ones and zeros? Am I in the matrix? Right. It's it's yeah. Yeah, I think everyone I know is having an existential crisis of some yeah. kind. Um, I, you know, I'm everyone that I know that has kids. I just want to hug them and give them all the wine. Um, <laughs> you know, like especially the, the parents that are trying to school the kids. The, the the thing is, is that I feel like in general in in our society, maybe it's our society, maybe it's all over the world. I have no idea. But people like to compete for who has it worse, right? Like there's yeah. always this competitive nature of like, oh, yeah, you think you have it bad. Um, <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I, I sort of get it because we want to feel validated in our own misery or something. Yeah. Um, but the truth is right now, everyone has it bad. There is no greater than or worse than um, unless you're somebody who is died. Right. Okay. That's, that's depressing. Um, but, um, but I guess unless you're like an extreme introvert where you really do not get anything from being around people, this is hard for everyone, whether you're a parent or a student or a teacher or, um, you know, someone like me who's a teacher and I'm also a shift worker. Um, and it's, it's a lot and it's a lot for everyone. And, how do you validate each other when you're like, yeah, but I need you to see me too. I need you to know that I'm in pain too, but I validate your experience. And I see these conversations all the time. Like everyone is like fighting for who has it worse. It's like, no, we all do. We all have it. And like, and if you want to have it worse, congratulations. You can have that title. Have it. I don't want it. Yeah, Just, <laughs> just have everyone in a group crying session. Right. But distanced. Yeah. Oh my God. There was the, there was a show talking about like immersive theater from earlier in the conversation. I, I saw the show years ago now. And um, I, I went, I was in a tangent. I went, I was in a show with this guy who was like, Hey, I'm going to see the show. You should come with me. I'm like, okay. So we get on a train. We were on a train for an hour and then some random person picks us up from the train station, takes us back to his house. And then somehow, I think we walked to like a few miles to some like small venue place and we show up and there's a drum circle. So I'm like, okay, I'm in a drum circle now. And there's like, at some point, I think I danced maybe, I don't know, but everyone that was a part of the I think sh- I danced. I think I danced. <laughs> you know, time is weird. Um, Will that be the title of your memoir? I think I danced. You know what? It might be. Do you have any? <laughs> and the funny thing is, the amount of times during my day that I say weird things, I'm like, that's the title of my memoir. Um, and literally, I say that regularly. Um, <laughs> but I think I danced is is pretty good. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, after the drum circle and maybe dancing. Um, the audience members, because the cast was a part of the drum circle too, the audience members take their seats. And for like the next 10 minutes, all the women in the show are wailing. They were crying. 
and hitting things and having a full-on emotional breakdown. And we just sat there watching them have this massive emotional breakdown. And I feel like... Kind of like Florence Pugh in Midsummer. (laughs) Oh, yeah, something like that. Oh, my... Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I think... I want to say that it was a production of the Trojan Women. I think... Okay. I'm pretty sure. Um, So it's an ancient play, which is... I think this was the whole immersive theater thing. They wanted us to, like, get into the space and get into the vibe of the story. And... Here's all these women who are mourning the loss of all of their husbands and sons and cousins and brothers and whatever. And so they spend the first, you know, have, and maybe, maybe it was a minute and a half and it just felt like 10 minutes, but they went for it. They didn't even hold back at all, all of the screaming and wailing. And um, then afterwards, after the show, I don't remember a damn thing from the show though. Not after the <laughs> moment, don't remember anything. I know people talked. Um I heard there was talking. I heard there was talking. Um, Which that's the title of your companion memoir. Right, right, right. Right, right, right. Um, I I think I danced and I heard there was talking. (laughs) (laughs) But then after the show, we all went into the lobby and there was a potluck. All the actors brought food and we just hung out with the actors and had a meal with all the audience Mm. members and the actors. And I, I, I... I don't know. Honestly, I going back into that memory. I don't remember why I brought it up, but <laughs> um, um, I think it, it probably had something to. Do, oh, it had to do with with wailing and crying, and like yeah. the amount of time that I think about that theatrical experience. I first of all, as a performer, I'm like that looks exhausting. Yeah, to have to do that, but also if you need it, how cathartic that would be. You know, like we are so trained to be quieter and be smaller and not express our emotions in a healthy way. And so I sort of wonder, like, maybe we could all have like a Zoom chat where like the only purpose you just cry the whole time. Like the first 10 minutes, the first half hour, just cry. No, no speaking. Just cry and wail. You could punch things only, you know, like soft things. Don't hurt yourself. And then, like, maybe for the next half is you just laugh. Like, un- unbridled laughing. Like, get it out. Get that energy out of your system. I don't know. Now I think that's going to be the next hour uh, after we stop group. this call. That's my life <laughs> okay. for the next hour. Group, group cry therapy. <laughs> yes. Yes. But remotely. <laughs> yes. Remote group crying session. <laughs> We can start another podcast where it's just me and a guest cry for an hour. Yes, I approve. I approve this message. <laughs> where we watch the crying game. Oh, and, oh man! All and, of it. And it's while sponsored- reading Thomas Pynchon's "The Crying of Lot 49. sponsored by Kleenex. <laughs> Um, are you saying that's what we should be doing after we we're done recording? This? Yes, <laughs> yes that's that's what Just I'm crying. doing. That is what I'm doing. And then I'm going to go to the chiropractor, and it's all going to be good. <laughs> all right. Um, uh, we've been going for a while. Uh, do you have to get going? Or. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
actually, it's funny because I have exactly an hour before I have to leave for the chiropractor. Um, okay. So maybe I'll or- just cry for the next hour. Um, <laughs> Uh, actually, probably what I'm going to do. For, and for a split second, when you said you had to go to the chiropractor, there's a part. There was a part of my mind that that totally assumed it was a remote session. Oh, because <laughs> <laughs> that's the world we live in now. <laughs> it's, true. it's true. Like them trying to guide you. Like, no, crack your neck that way. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. Luckily, no. Uh, I feel very fortunate because he. And it's not your normal uh, chiropractor. I go, it, it, he has this thing. Uh, I call it the clicky pen. So it just has a lot of force to it. And it he like finds the area on your body and then like hits it with mm-hmm. the clicky pen. So it's not as invasive and it's not as like right. close. And everything is disinfected. And I'm super grateful um, because stress and my, as I said, my shift job, excuse me, my shift job is um, requires a lot of lifting. Um, yeah. So I'm a lot stronger than I look, um, <laughs> but it's knocked my neck out and my back out quite a bit. So I'm super, super grateful for that. Um, the other thing, just for your listeners, a little, uh, this is health corner with Johanna Dunphy. Um, do yoga, breathe, meditate, do all those things. Um, yeah. it's so important. It's so important to survive all of this. And sometimes what I've noticed is when I get on the mat, like sometimes what comes up is I need to cry. So I cry while I practice because it wants to come out. Cause that's what you got to do. It wants to move. Part of your stretching routine is now crying. It is. Or... It is child's pose into a weeping yeah. puppy or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, as you know, like that's, that's the title of my next album, child's pose into weeping puppy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I could come up with a better title, but that one, that one's sticking. I have to, I have to admit, um, you like we when uh, in the acting class, we you started every class like with not necessarily yoga, but like close enough to yoga that like stretching and all that. Yeah, right? yeah. And I, I have found myself tr- trying to do stretching, like some, some, at least some stretching every, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, at least semi frequently because, um, I I need a chiropractor or at least or, or something to. Um, like I, you might've noticed I've been cracking my neck a lot during yeah. this chat and it's not, it, it's not a good thing. <laughs> it's, it's not. <laughs> well, I've got a good guy in Glastonbury. He just uh, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I actually, I start every class of meditation and I don't care if it's an acting class. I start my classes this semester with meditation. It's only five minutes. Um, I don't go deep into it. Um, we don't do anything wild and crazy, but, um, I just find it to be so important. Um, to be able to practice training our minds to calm down and learning techniques to calm ourselves and to center ourselves. And also the first five minutes of class don't matter anyway. If like, we're being totally honest, like people are running late. You're not there yet. You know, like whatever happened before class started, you're still thinking about. So you're still outside the room. You're not ready to learn anything or participate in anything. Really. And so why not take the first five minutes to meditate and get everyone on the same page and everyone on the same wavelength for the most part? I mean, obviously, that's the idealistic view of it, but I don't care if I'm teaching an acting class or a literature class. Like, I, I think it's useful for everyone. You know, you're feeling stressed out, you're feeling upset, like, or you're 
you're just really scattered. Like now you have techniques of how to breathe better and how yeah. to focus your mind back into what you're doing. And now you're getting the practice of that. And with, uh, with acting, I mean, stretching is such a key point in my experience. I mean, I tend to learn through my body anyway, cause I'm a movement person, but, um, if you're going to play different characters, your characters are going to hold themselves differently. And you need to know where your body is that day. So that way, basically, so you don't hurt yourself. And so that way you are ready to do whatever the character or characters yeah. require. Yeah, it's a it's a limbering up of um, your body, but also in a sense, your mind, mm-hmm. you know, too. So that, um, like, say, if you're if you're going to act, you're um, ready, readying your body for a range of movement, but also your mind for a range of emotions, you could say. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It can help. As I said, like I cry on my mat all the time. Um, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great way to clear out whatever nonsense is in there. I read recently that, um, and this is more of a belief thing. You can believe it or not, but um, I was reading someone uh, saying that emotions are just energy, right? And um, that, that energy can get stuck in your body. So if you don't like watch animals when they fall or trip or any, or they get, you know, like my, my, my cats attack each other all the time. Um, don't worry. They're safe. It's fine. Um, but you watch them just literally shake it off and then they move on with their life. We don't do that. We Mm -hmm. let whatever is happening within us to get stuck there and it manifests in crazy ways sometimes. Um, and by doing something like yoga or simple stretching or, taking a kickboxing class or going for a walk or doing something where you're mindfully moving your body, that stuck energy finds its way out. And so people are surprised sometimes when they start practicing anything physical, when they're like, why did I get so angry? Or why did I get so sad? It's because you found that one of those stuck spots of energy and it's finding its way out. And the, the, the greatest detriment you can do to yourself is when that happens, if you stop doing what you're doing. You're like, oh, I don't want to feel sad. This is uncomfortable. I'm going to stop. Well, then it yeah. it's still stuck. It hasn't moved out. And the biggest part is, is that once it's out, like you will feel it. Like you will feel lighter and you will feel better. Um, I'm also a yoga teacher. So like this is where my brain goes. Yeah. You know, believe it or not. This is just my experience. That's how it goes. Yeah. And especially in these crazy times where we're sitting more and we're more sedentary. Finding any, and the thing is, I always tell people like five minutes is better than no minutes. You know, if you just sit and breathe for five minutes or one minute, set a timer. I have a meditation app that has um, bells that ring when the time is up. Just taking one minute out of your day to breathe consciously, like thinking about your breath and how it feels going into your body and back out. It It's amazing how that can shift things. Yeah. Yeah, so. now I feel now I feel remiss because I didn't do stretching before trying before talking to you, and especially since that's that's probably a thing that would help in terms of like my voice, if if I if I if it's not in the best shape right now. But um, uh, I, I guess um, I guess this is me trying to sign off so that like you, I don't want to keep you if you have to go to a chiropractor or, or something. <laughs> but um, I haven't explicitly. My voice has not explicitly cracked throughout the entire session. Uh, so I think, I guess, um, I guess this is where we're ending it. Uh, uh, <laughs> I guess so. Well, well, instead of instead of doing stretching at the beginning, let's do stretching now at the end. And 
you know, it's funny because this is what I do at the beginning of every class. We breathe for like a few minutes and then, yeah. and I always tell them sit comfortably, palms up if you need energy, palms down if you need to ground yourself. And because of how I sit in my chair, my legs are crossed. So I have my palms face up in my lap like this. Right. Um, and then once we're done breathing, I have them interlace their fingers and stretch up straight. And then as you exhale over to the right and breathe into your side ribs here, letting your ribs expand, exhale here, inhale back up, exhale to the other side, inhale into the side ribs, exhale here, inhale straight up. Release the hands and reach up with your left hand, your right hand, your left hand, right hand, both hands, and then bring your hands down. And then we're ready for class. <laughs> oh, that's great radio, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could follow along. I tried to be very specific, you know. Yeah. Um, but, I, uh, you know, stretch in your car or, you know, wherever you're uh, listening to this. Well, yeah, I feel better I, I, after I, doing that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a rather large person. I don't think there is enough room in my car to stretch. But, <laughs> but, cool. um, well, Vincent, this has been delightful. And I'm going to pretend like I monologued so much just to help you save your voice. Okay. Yeah, that was that was totally on purpose. All of my tangents. <laughs> it was all for you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, 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 thank you for being on. Of course. Thank you for um, asking yeah, me. Was, uh, uh, it's no problem. I I need guests. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, way to make well, me feel special. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this was fun. It was. This was. This was fun. That's a question. Oh yes, yes, it was. Yes, it was fun. It was delightful. Right. Uh, and, I'm, uh, and I'm glad I wasn't a, hu a huge disappointment as a professor <laughs> for you last semester. <laughs> um, uh, would you be interested in like returning at yeah. some point? Yeah, sure. I'm around. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, maybe, maybe when that time comes, um, uh, it'll be in the after times. Oh, that would be delightful. We'll have a coffee. Yep. <laughs> And we'll uh, cry the yeah. whole time. Our next yeah. podcast is just us <laughs> crying. <laughs> no, that's the other. That's the other podcast I'm starting of me just crying with a guest. Well, the, there you go. You'll I'll be, be your first guest. <laughs> yeah. On the crying podcast. Benson ties the crying game. Um, <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Oh dear. Oh man. All right. I need to eat some food before I continue on with my day um okay thank you for having me this was awesome i really enjoyed talking to you and having this lovely conversation yeah and i'll uh, just one more thing like uh were you able to like check out and uh any of the uh previous episodes i haven't had or... a chance to yet but i'm okay. excited to uh, you have something now you have something to listen to on the way to the chiropractor it's true i do all right uh, uh thank you again johanna um uh this was this was this was fun uh good talking to you and uh bye all right, take care. Bye-bye.